Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. More importantly, though, you're going to take away real ideas, maybe a shift in your mindset, and some actions to apply that will shift where you are and how you show up each day. It's going to touch your life, in other words. Before we get started on this podcast, though, consider checking us out on social media, our videos, our work through the book On Fire, all the work that we have going on in the community. It's all available for you to check out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. One more time, JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Now, in full transparency, I'm always deeply moved and inspired by individuals who through their life and sometimes through their death have the opportunity to profoundly influence the lives of those around them. I I think to a, a degree, that's our opportunity every day. But when you hear a remarkable, shocking story of it, it wakes us up to free us to take bigger, bolder, better action in our own life. And that's what you're going to be stepping into today. An incredible, a selfless, a remarkable story of one person's journey, how another person bumped into it and what it ultimately means for us. So with all of this being said, my my invitation for you right now, my friends, is to buckle up, get ready for a wild ride, open up your minds, open up your hearts, open up your journals, grab your pens, get ready for the ride of a lifetime. I'm going to bring on to our Live Inspired podcast and into our community, my newest friend, Matt Weiss. Matt, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to hear your voice again. We got to hang out together live just a couple months ago in Miami. For those who uh, aren't yet familiar with the name Matt Weiss, tell our community who you are today and, and what kind of work you're up to. Well, currently I am making my second film. It's a film called Vault. And it's about the largest heist in U.S. history from a vault, uh, which occurred in 1975 in Providence, Rhode Island. $30 million was stolen. And one of the twists that you find out early on in the film is that the vault was not in a bank with no regulation and with minimal security. And that's because the money that these guys were stealing was from the mob. So it's kind of got this great twist, and obviously these guys are pretty crazy to do that. Uh, But the interesting part is that I never thought I'd make a film. I never thought I – I never read a book on filmmaking. I never took a class on filmmaking. But a few years back, I went to lunch with my banker, Jeff Crowder, and over lunch he told me the story about his son Wells, and I was just blown away. And when I said to myself in quick succession was, what an amazing story. Yes. Everyone needs to hear the story of Wells. I want to share that story with everyone. So like while there are filmmakers that look for stories, in this case, it's story found a filmmaker. And I just finished that film called Man in Red Bandana. And so from a lawyer for practicing law for 25 plus years, I've now pivoted and become a filmmaker. You know, and a lot of us say uh, I, I'm a filmmaker or I'm an artist or I'm a, an author or whatever it may be. And yet 
uh, what we're doing is not quite at a professional level quite yet. Man in Red Bandana is extraordinarily well done. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about Wells. We're going to talk about his dad. We're going to talk about uh, the production, how you got to where it ultimately ended up. But but let's backtrack first before we get to Wells and this remarkable story. Tell us first about your story, Matt. Where, where were you born? I was born in Long Island, and I grew up there and lived in the New York area for most of my life. And I always felt I'd go to law school at some point, you know, and I did. And I also also had this entrepreneurial bug in running a business, and I loved that. I started a business in college, a teddy bear delivery service. And uh, that was even before the Vermont teddy bear became a mm-hmm. big thing. It mm-hmm. was our concept first. And unfortunately, we realized that we couldn't run this business full time and also uh, uh, not fail out of school. So we chose the latter. Uh, so it was a great concept uh, that we started, but didn't finish or follow through because of that. But I always had this entrepreneurial bug. So when I got through with law school and I started my practice, I was always looking for a way to make it a business of law as opposed to a practice yes. of law. And uh, through the years, it evolved into figuring out that a very easy type of law that's somewhat fungible is traffic tickets, speeding hmm. tickets, red light tickets, moving violations. So I wouldn't know about any of that, but but I'm assuming some of our audience might. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, uh, hopefully most of your audience don't get too many tickets. <laughs> but, uh, you I'm, know, I'm blessed to have a brother who's an attorney. So when I when I stumble into that that traffic ticket, uh, I know exactly who to call. <laughs> yeah. So you, and I realized that this is something that's something that could be scaled as yeah. a business, as opposed to something that depends on me. And, you know, most lawyers, accountants, professionals, when they're not in the office, they're on vacation or wherever, things aren't getting done. But in in this area of law, I realized that this was a business that could continue to operate and function even if I wasn't there, you know, doing any Mm -hmm. uh, day-to-day operations. And so I built that up to, you know, a nice size practice where we do about 6,000 tickets a year throughout the entire state of New York. It's a volume business. It's a lot of crumbs to make a meal, I like to say. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, you know, New York and the various towns and villages and cities are often issuing tickets because they need the money and the revenue for their yes. coffers. And so it's this steady flow of constant business where people want help, need help. You know, they're mad, they're upset, they're, they're scared, uh, and often it's their only brush with the law. And so our firm and myself are available to help them. We answer thousands of questions for people that don't even hire us, whether it's on my blog or, in, you know, over email or, in, you know, over the phone. And we're just a source of help to people that are trying to navigate this process to figure out what to do and how to do it. Well, and Matt, since you brought it up and since some of us do stumble into it from time to time, go ahead and tell us the, the, the blog and, and then I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit. Sure, sure. Well, it's called Confessions of a Traffic Lawyer, and it's at our website, which is nytrafficticket.com. All right. NY for New York. Matt, you are obviously not only currently entrepreneurial, you've always been that way, but I, I find a lot of entrepreneurs have some type of mentor in their life who encouraged it, who kind of sparked that curiosity. A- anybody come to mind when I ask that question, who, who, your, uh, who your first uh, glance with entrepreneurialism might be? Well, I have so many heroes, CEOs like Elon Musk, you know, and Jeff Bezos and some Simon Sinek, so many people that I look up to. Um, but most of my mentors or colleagues of mine in different businesses 
through being a member for many years of the Entrepreneurs Organization, I've met so many business owners doing, in so many different industries and learned from them and how they do things and, and importing things that they do in their industry into mine. And uh, so I have a lot of people that you would never heard of, but have yes. given me those one little nuggets that have been the difference maker for me to improve what I do, save money, be more efficient, or whatnot. In in my work, we use the the term inflection points. These moments in time that you know it's, it seems like it's just a normal lunch, and then a conversation takes place, and then afterwards everything changes. And we have these inflection points all the time. I, I, I want to kind of speed the tape up a little bit because I think your story of what you're doing today and the story you recently told is so stunning. Talk about lunch with a, a banker and the name Wells. Sure. So I started banking at Hudson Valley Bank, and Jeff Crowther was my representative. And as a new customer of his, he invited me to lunch and had literally zero expectations for the lunch other than that I would have a nice meal and some good company. And during the course of the lunch, it came out about his son, Wells, who was in the South Tower on 9-11. And I just was jaw-dropped. I just was an incredible story. And you see, Wells was 24. He worked on the 104th floor of the South Tower about a mile in the sky. And he was at his desk early that morning, sadly. And when the plane hit, he actually was able to get a call into his mom that went into voicemail, which he played shortly thereafter. And basically, it, it said that this is Wells. I'm okay. I'll, I'll let you know when I get out. And uh, then Jeff is actually watching the TV, knowing his son is in the building, knowing that it's burning. And then he sees it come down, the South Tower. And he, he fell to his knees and he said, Lord, take me take me in his stead. And obviously when an adult, especially a male with a cracking voice talking about losing his son, you, you can't help but you break and, and, and empathize uh, with him. And, you know, so it's obviously it's very sad and, 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 and heartbreaking to hear that. But the story takes a remarkable twist because eight months later, so now we're in May 2002, the New York Times did an article with different survivor accounts Five journalists contributed to share the story of what it was like to be in, the, in both of those towers. And one journalist, Eric Lipton, was assigned to the South Tower around the 78th floor where the, um, the United Airlines plane 175 hit. And Eric talked to a bunch of survivors from there, and two of them told him that they, that they were saved, led up and out, by a man with a red bandana on his face. And fortunately, Eric included that little tidbit in his article. And when Allison Crowther, Wells' mom, read it, and she saw that these women were saved by a man with a red bandana, she instantly knew that that was her son. You see, Wells, from the age of eight, always carried a red bandana. It was a habit he got into. His friends would tease him about it, but he didn't care. He always had it. He had it under his helmet Hmm. when he played hockey and lacrosse. He had it in his suit pocket when he went to work, and it was just kind of his signature thing. So they sent photos to both these women who positively ID'd that photo of, of Wells as him, as the man that saved them. And then a few months later, had these women over for a barbecue. And through their accounts in the New, York, the New York Times article, they were able to piece together the last hour of their son's life, his finest hour by all accounts. So you, you, they learned that he put out fires with a fire extinguisher. He extricated people that were trapped under debris. Now, keep in mind that this was a plane crash for the first 56 minutes. This was not a collapsed building like right. we associate with 
uh, and the ground zero, but rather it was a burning building with a commercial airliner that had just impacted uh, around the 70th floor. And so you had smoke and dust and carnage and, and, and chaos and moaning and, and just you can't imagine the hellish conditions. And within these hellish, con- hellish conditions, Wells is doing all these things. He's guiding people out. He's actually actually carried a woman on his shoulder down 17 flights, left her there with a group, went back up, let another group down, and went back up a third time to help yet more people. How much of this, and by the way, I have tears in my eyes thinking of that day and thinking of all the courage and sadness that, that goes with it, but specifically with our, our, our main man, Wells, right now, how much of this, of this story are you hearing over lunch sitting across from his father? I'm hearing it all, and I'm just in awe. I just was in awe that a piece of fabric, a bandana, <laughs> right. could, could really just open the eyes of the family to that it was totally in the dark. All they knew is that their son perished, and obviously it was devastating for them. But they had no information other than that he was in the building and, and he didn't make it. And now, for the first time, eight months later, because of the bandana, they're learning about all the heroic things that he did, that he led his life as he wanted to, that he had control, he wasn't trapped, and that made them feel better, that he had free will to decide what to do, and in this case, he decided to help others. And then they're meeting the people that he saved, and they're thanking him for raising such an amazing young yes. man. So, you know, that the shift of their perspective is tremendous, and then it actually is, is actually much more profound because the family has used this story and they started a trust and they raised over a million dollars and it's still active and they donate to worthwhile causes and to young adults that personify Wells's values. Uh, Wells's sister wrote a children's book about Wells. Um, an ESPN reporter wrote a book about Wells. I made a film about Wells. Uh, he's honored in, with artwork for students and, and artists throughout the country. There's at least three or four songs written about him by different musicians. Clergy sermonize about him and his story. Um, you even have babies all over the country named after Wells. In fact, right where you live in Fenton, Missouri, uh, is a teacher that does a project every year in honor of Wells. And, and so even in Missouri, Wells' story has touched. And, and even uh, the, the United States, the President of the United States, um, Barack Obama, when they had the dedication ceremony for the 9-11 Museum, which was uh, May 15, 2014, uh, well, well uh, President Obama spoke for... Uh, about 10 minutes, but three of those minutes he talked about Wells and Wells' story. And so it's even reached the White House. And then in the film, after all of this legacy and all of the things that you hear, how he's touched people and inspired people, uh, and of course what he did, then finally we share the secret about Wells that I'm not going to spoil. <laughs> That's just the most incredible ending that literally people in the theater, I hear them out loud, they say, wow. They can't even, they don't even realize they're saying it because it is just such an incredible ending. And it's all true. This is not Hollywood. This is an actual true story that's just phenomenal. We are listening to your passion and your heart and the way you're articulating this story uh, with rapt attention. It's one thing, Matt, to hear a story, to be moved, to wipe your tears, to shake hands and go back to work. What was it about Matt's, uh, uh, about Wells' story that you left that table changed in such a dramatic manner that you shifted careers. I mean, th- this is a wild leap. What, what, what was it in that that 
just grabbed your heart? Uh, you know, just the selflessness that Wells showed, the way that it all unfolds. I just thought it was an incredible um, story. I felt, obviously, as a New Yorker, you know, this was an attack on our country and my city. And I, I always, you know, took that to heart. And, you know, it's hard for people to get their head around what 3,000 people dying means. 3,000 lives with families and jobs and hobbies and interests. It's almost impossible to get your head around that. But I felt with Wells' story and, and, and how engaging and, and uplifting and inspirational that it was, it would be a good kind of poster child for people to kind of start to appreciate um, the many you know, people that died and honor those people that died that day. And Wells, to me, was that poster child. And I'm the one to always volunteer, to give, to look out for others. And I would love for this world to, to do that, to be more giving, more thankful and thoughtful. And it doesn't have to be saving people. You could simply give up your seat on a bus yes. or hold the door open for someone who's trailing maybe 10 feet behind you and just wait another couple of seconds till they get to you. And so we could all, myself included, I know I can be a better person every day. And so I just felt that Wells would be a great inspiration for us all to, to learn his story, to share his story, and hopefully incentivize people to, to be less selfish and more selfless. As you're coming to grips with this and what it might mean for you going forward professionally, I'm assuming you reach back out to dad and you say, hey, uh, this is what I'm thinking. I, I, I want to tell this story in a way that it's never been told before. Yes. Uh, well, it's interesting because when I when I heard the story, I said to myself, I wanted to tell the story. So I uh, asked Jeff, I said to Jeff, you know, wouldn't this make a great documentary? Figuring that he would tell me, uh, yes. And then I would say, do you mind if I make it? But to my surprise, he said, yes. And there's a husband and wife that are already filming a documentary about my son. And honestly, I was disappointed because I really wanted to share the story. I loved the story. I thought it was such a great lessons and, 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 and honor to be an honor and tribute to Wells and honor him. Uh, so, but I was also happy. So it's a kind of bittersweet. I was happy mm -hmm. that the story was getting out. Well, Fast forward five years later, I still never forgot about it. And I saw Jeff at an event and I said to him, what, what about this film about Wells? When am I going to see it? And uh, that's when I found out that the wife got pregnant and actually with twins and life took over. And while they had this footage that they shot, they never did anything with it. And so the story had gripped me so that it never left me. And instantly I said, do you mind if I make it? And he said, yes. And it was a little hesitant, to be honest, because he only knew me as a traffic lawyer, right? <laughs> right. And this was his son's story. Yes. But he, he and, and, you know, a yes is a yes, hesitant or not, and I just ran with it. And then I quickly showed them, you know, that I was going to really be responsible, committed, and take this on. I mean, it is a weighty yes. responsibility to take on telling the story of this amazing sterling individual. And for me, that means I couldn't have a budget for the film, right? If I, 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 I make decisions based on money, well, I can only have three animations of the tower, not four, because it's not within my budget. Well, if the story needed the fourth animation, then it's got to be in there. Yes. I mean, I took on a responsibility to tell his story in the best way that I knew that I could possibly. And so uh, 
I took that very seriously. That meant researching, reading the entire 9-11 Commission report, going to New York City archives and libraries and, and just digging and digging. And keep in mind, Wells' story had been told multiple times before me. This was the first film, a full-length film about Wells. But various news agencies like NBC, CNN had told the story. ESPN did a short little 12-minute piece about Wells. So this story had been told in the past, but me as the filmmaker of a comprehensive version, the version in my mind, had to make sure that I was advancing the story, adding to the story, and not simply rehashing what others have said. And so I'm very proud of a lot of things that I was able to add. In fact, what I mentioned earlier about all the honors and tributes and the legacy that he has throughout the country by total strangers, yes. that was never covered by any of the other pieces. And so certainly to me that is a critical component that he still lives on, that he's remembered for what he did, that he's made a mark in this world. You mentioned earlier that it, it was his finest day and his finest hour, and obviously uh, that's what the, the movie kind of rests its laurels on, is what he does in that hour and the lives he touches, the lives he quite literally saves, and now the lives that are being impacted years later because of that. But what what really caught my attention about him is it wasn't a one-act wonder. The, the, this guy had been doing good things his whole life. He, he was just a, the foundation of his life was good. And so it's not shocking on 9-11 when this thing happens that he's going to lead forward as a hero. Can, can you give us a little bit of the background without giving away the story and just some examples of how his, his character was just positive. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He always thought of others first. And uh, in the film, you hear John Scott, one of his high school buddies, and they were on a hockey team together, and John had yet to score his first varsity goal. So Wells tells the coach, hey, put me on a line with John. I want to make sure he gets his first goal. And he tells to John, plant yourself in front of the net. You're getting a goal today. And he fed him the puck and made sure that he got the, the, the goal that day. And everyone went around John except for Wells. Wells goes into the net pulls out the puck and puts it aside so that he could present it to him in the locker room after the game. And that's someone that just is thinking of others, that wants other people to be happy. And, and the fact that he went and got the puck and presented it to him just to add the icing to the cake as if it wasn't enough to make sure he got the goal, it just showed you his character. And, and that really made him feel good that he was helping others. So I think that kind of sums it up, that story. But, you know, there are so many others. Right. Uh, you know, he was with a friend who smoked cigarettes and he grabbed the pack of cigarettes and threw it out the window as they're driving in a car with some buddies. And he's like, that's not good to you. <laughs> he just threw it out the window. Like, you know, just, just, just a good guy cared about others. And, and uh, it, it's funny because I've got to meet so many of his high school friends, his family, obviously his, his college friends. And, and to, to a person, you know, no one really was surprised that he stayed to help others. You know, and, and that was Wells. That's how he, you know, that, that was his DNA. Fred Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers, for those of us who grew up uh, watching PBS, and that, that was the only channel you had as a child. But Fred Rogers', Rogers mom used to say, Fred, anytime you see something bad, don't look at what is bad. Look for the heroes. There's always heroes. There's always these emergency workers. One of my favorite and tragic pictures from 9-11 is this. The, the buildings are on fire. Everybody who's capable is sprinting out, but you see all these good-looking young New York firefighters looking up, backpacks on, oxygen on, walking in. 
And I think it's it's such this diversion of everybody else sprinting away from the danger, and then these selfless servants walking boldly into it. It's incredible. They've been trained for it. They're ready for it. In some regards, they're paid for it, and it's it's their mission in life. And yet you have this 24-year-old kid on the 104th floor who should have been running out with everybody else. As you made the film, what was it in these stories and what was it in his parents and what was it in his upbringing that allowed this kid, instead of running away, to be walking up? It's, it's, it's shocking. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it's genetic, environmental, or a combination but that was him. That was Wells. And, you know, it, it was from an early age, you know, he always looked out for his sisters and, and, and his friends. And, uh, you know, that day, you know, he took off his equities traders cap cause he, he was an equities trader and acted as a fireman. And, you know, uh, it's just incredible that he, you know, stayed now. Yes. I'm sure he didn't think the building was going to come down, but, you know, the instincts of most people in 10 to 15,000 people, their instincts were just to, to run and to leave the building. Uh, you know, and Wells was not the only one who stayed. There were many yes. who stay. And you mentioned 343 firefighters died on 9-11. And there are uh, over 150 that have died since just yes. by yes. For illness contracted while cleaning up the pile. And, and they're all heroes, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just a, you know, it's hard to know what you would do if you were put in that situation until you're in it. Matt, when you're interviewing those ladies who were directly impacted by his bravery, his heroism, his life saved theirs. Talk to me about how they, how they speak about about him. They say, "I wouldn't be here without him." You raised this amazing young man. You know, they thank they thank the parents from the bottom of their heart, and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, some of the people that I found in the research, Wells' parents didn't even know Wells had saved. <laughs> and you know, can you imagine, you know, I, I was able to make sure that, for example, Ed Nichols mm. got to meet Allison and Jeff and, and how touching it was for him to know that this, their son is the one that guided him out of the building. And, you know, that, how that made me feel. I could tell you um, another kind of side story is there's a photo of Wells with the Trade Center in the yes. background. He was proud of where he worked. And this is in July, just two months before 9-11. He's on a fireboat with his friend Harry Wanamaker. And he said to his dad, hey, dad, get a picture of me and Harry with the tower in the background. Well, through the years, that photo, because it had Wells and the Trade Center in the background, the only one, became very popular among the different media outlets to, to use and show, um, you know, when they talked about Wells. And we had a rough cut screening of the, of the film, and Harry Wanamaker, who was in the photo, his daughter came up to me, she had a tear in her eye, and she said, you know, Matt, I've seen that photo so many times, and no one's ever mentioned who that other man was, my dad. And your film discussed my dad and his story and how it was related to Wells. And, you know, you know, she was so appreciative and touched that her dad was remembered as well. And sadly, Harry Wanamaker, whose um, story is kind of a sub-story of the film, he died nine years later for, due to cancer, contracted while working for nine months cleaning up, you know, with the other uh, first responders and recovery efforts. And, uh, 
you know, unfortunately, he's one of over 150 that have died uh, from different respiratory illness and cancer mm-hmm. that they contracted. And so uh, the one that made me feel great, it was unintended. I was telling a story, and I felt like his story was critical. You know, this is a guy who's representing the thousands of people that have come to help clean up this disaster, help find bodies, uh, you know, first very early on survivors, but then recovery, uh, recover bodies. And, you know, to me, that was, a, 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 you know, an important component of the story. And uh, obviously Wells was connected with this photo uh, with the trade center disaster and the fact that it both killed them, albeit many years apart. And, uh, you know, that made me feel great that, you know, that I could touch Harry's family in that regard as well. When audience members see this movie and experience it, what what do you what have you noticed that they experience? And then for those of us who are going to race and check it out today and tomorrow and beyond, what do you hope we experience? How do, how do you hope we are better afterwards? Well, I can tell you this film is unique because you will uh, maybe shed a tear, but your heart will break. There are some very, very sad moments, tender moments that you can't help as a human not to be empathetic and, and have your heart broken and, and maybe shed a tear. In fact, many people do cry during the film. But what makes it unique is that you, uh, the film then leads to what Wells did that day, and you hear from these survivors how he helped them out, led them out, picked them up, uh, guided them, uh, all the things that he did that day, carrying a woman on his shoulder down 17 flights, and you can't help but be inspired. And then you hear about how he's remembered by his friends and family, the trust I mentioned, mm. the different legacy um, ways he's in diverse ways throughout the country he's honored, and you can't help but feel uplifted by that. And then ultimately when you hear the secret about Wells and you go, wow, it's it's uplifting, and I think it's extraordinarily rare for a film to be so sad at points, yet leave you so uplifted and yes. inspired. It's almost like a cathartic journey. And so, to me, people leave that film and they go, wow. And, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to sound boastful because I made the film, but <laughs> most people either say it was good or, and, or great. You know, and 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 then love it. And no one told me, eh. No one says, eh. No one says, I don't like it. it. You know, so it's it's got a really high bar or floor, I should say. It is a very high floor or bar. It's an incredible movie. And I'm curious, Matt. My final question before we shift gears a bit. You spent years of your life, and you spent unimaginable emotional stress and travel and days away and dollars investing in this. Um, how has this work changed you? You know, it, it's really allowed me to tap into a lot of creative stuff that I didn't know I had or didn't, you know, didn't have, um, you know, hadn't accessed in a while. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, as I mentioned, Jeff sees the towers coming down. And so I'm writing this and I'm like, all right, I want to see the towers come down and I want to see Jeff's eyes. So now when we film it, we film Jeff's eyes and we did a double image with the tower coming down and we go from Jeff to the double image to the towers coming down. And it just works so well that, you know, obviously we're conveying that, you know, that Jeff saw it. This is what you're seeing it through Jeff's eyes. And, you know, I'm like, wow, this is pretty good for a guy who never took a class. Man, for a New York traffic attorney, 
uh, there were many, many, many times where I was almost crying or just unabashedly was crying. The scene you're referring to when they're counting down the seconds that he had on that ground floor. Um, yeah, that's it's, another tough one. Oh, yeah. gosh. It's just, it's so, it, it makes it so real and yet so deeply, deeply inspiring. And even the ending, you know, we have this one audio of Wells. The biggest challenge I have is that we only had about 30 or 40 seconds of Wells on uh, moving image videos yes. and, and home movies. Um, unfortunately, Wells' parents took a lot of photos and, and they loaned them to me and let me scan what I needed, which obviously showed a lot of trust uh, and commitment on their part. But they weren't a home film type of family. Mm-hmm. So as a result, there was very little video footage of Wells. And obviously, what we did have to me were very precious and had to be strategically used at the right times so that hopefully it doesn't feel like you don't have a lot of it and that we really cover what we're talking about at the appropriate times with, with that imagery, you know, we're using it strategically and proper. And uh, the other thing we had was this voicemail that Wells left. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. And, you know, uh, at the, it's, it's 12 words where he says, Mom, this is Wells. I just want you to know that I'm okay. And we play that at the appropriate point, point of the film. But at that very end, you hear five of those words and we, uh, you know, edit it down. We change the background and edit some echo to it. But the last thing you hear in the film is in Wells' own words is, this is Wells, I'm okay. And that's because this is Wells. This is who I am. I did what I, my heart told me. I did what I would want to do under these circumstances. I'm okay. I'm not great. I died, but I'm okay because I followed my dream. I, I, followed, I did what I felt was right. And it's just incredible that you could hear Wells' own words that, you know, that he, he sums up the whole film in these five words. <laughs> uh, dude, you know, I'm the interviewer. I'm not supposed to be teary-eyed over here. So you, you got uh, to give me a, a space for a moment to, to <laughs> recapture my thoughts. <laughs> Mom, it's me. It's Matt. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, I think Matt, it's John. I'm okay. I think it's a great reminder for all of us that really no matter where we are in our life, that that through it all, man, we are okay. And Wells gives us this incredible reminder of how to live, how to work, how to love, how to die. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's amazing, and some people might even call it divine intervention, you know, the fact that, that Wells' um, story got uncovered you know, that the, there's a New York Times reporter that of all the survivors he interviewed, he he managed to find two that rem, that saw the red bandana, that remembered the red bandana, that, that discussed the red bandana to him, and that he put it in the article that Allison would read. So you have these amazing yes. divine interventions to, 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 to create this reveal for the family and to let them understand through these survivors what Wells did during his last hour. But even that voicemail, you know, who calls up their mom, dad, brother, sister and says, hey, this is Wells, this is Matt, this is John. You would just say, hey, I'm okay, I'll let you in. You know, like yeah. you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't announce who you were generally, but on that day, for, for that reason, he said this is Wells. And for me, it, it's incredible because he's saying this is Wells, this is who I am. 
He actually went to Boston College, whose symbol is the eagle, America's symbol. He could have gone to many other schools, but he went to a school whose symbol was America's symbol. And the eagle that flies before the Boston College football games was named after Wells. Hmm. So there's so many little nuances and, and things in there that just um, – you know, are just remarkable and, and um, you know, serendipitous. You know, we didn't mention it, but Glenn Paltrow yes. narrates the film. And so I knew quickly that early on that I wanted a A-lister to narrate because that would provide more interest and hopefully more eyeballs to hear and see the story and be inspired. And so uh, I got in front of her. She read the script and she thought it was amazing, quote unquote. And obviously that made me feel good as the, as the person that wrote it. And uh, I had to have had one little obstacle, though, John, because I needed, insisted on the blessing of Wells' parents, Jeff and Allison. I didn't need it contractually, but morally I, I wanted to make sure that they were tickled pink with the spokesperson yes. for their film. And uh, fortunately, they loved the idea. They thought she'd be great. And then the story takes another turn because Jeff tells me that his brother, I mean, yeah, his brother, um, John Crowther, who would have been Wells' uncle, his brother was college, uh, roommates. He lived with, with Bruce Paltrow, Gwyneth's father. They actually were roommates in New York City together. They put on plays together in the theater world, and they would go drinking together. And I'm like, that's pretty amazing. He says, yeah, but not only that, but John, the uncle, he actually dated Blythe Danner briefly. They went to high school together, and he was good friends with Blythe's older brother, and and he had a crush on you know Blythe's uh, on his friend's younger sister Blythe. And I'm like, what? That's that's so freaky. Yes. And so then I speak to John, the uncle. And he says, oh, yeah, one time Bruce Boucher was putting on a play, and I saw the actresses that were auditioning. So I came back a few days later because I saw Blythe was going to be there. I remember I had this little thing for her. Well, guess whose uncle introduced whose parents to one another? But John Crowder, Wells' uncle, introduced Blythe and, and, and um, Bruce Boucher to, to one another. And the, the, the divine intervention, the serendipitous nature of it is just uncanny man it's a perfect bow for a painful and beautiful redemptive story thank you where where can those of us who haven't yet seen it in theater or online check it out well it's currently available on itunes and amazon so you can download it and starting tomorrow november 1st it's available on dish tv and direct tv and pretty soon, probably by December, you'll be able to see it on all your other cable networks as a VOD demand as well. Tell us again the name of it, Matt. Man in Red Bandana. And if we want to get involved with any type of organization that celebrates or supports or makes a difference through, whether it's 9-11 Charities or specifically Wells, is there a place where you're guiding us? Absolutely. In the credits of my film and, and um, on our website, you know, we mentioned and we discussed Wells' trust. And Allison and Jeff do an amazing job finding worth worthy recipients of help. You know, there was a young woman who lost her violin, and they bought her one because she's a gifted musician and she couldn't afford it, a new one. Uh, they just do amazing stuff with that trust. And so I would direct everyone to that trust if they wanted to contribute in any manner. Brother, thank you for taking time not only to spend part of your day with us, but to spend part of your life 
reminding us that in spite of fires and terrorism and hatred, that that love wins. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, in, in the in the film, Jeff says, you know, when he heard the story and he heard what happened, he knew right away that he had to figure out a way to make some good to come out of this evil. Well, an awful lot of good continues to come out of it, and. You know this, Matt, but I have something through this podcast called the Live Inspired Seven. They are seven questions that every other guest that we've been fortunate enough to interview, they've all been asked, they've all bravely answered. So uh, are you ready to run the gauntlet? I'm ready for your gauntlet. All right, brother. Number one, what is the best book that you've ever read? Hmm. That's a tough one. For me, I guess, is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber because it really taught me how to work on my business, not in my business. Too many entrepreneurs get stuck doing it, doing it, doing it in the day-to-day and don't realize that they need to really focus on systems and processes. Mm. So for me, that was a real eye-opener to help me get to where I am and have free time to make a film and and have a practice that um, runs without me needing to be involved in the weeds. Yes. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? I would definitely help people. <laughs> I would definitely inspire people and use that money for good. You know, I don't, I don't understand people that need five houses and, and, and all these fancy cars. You know, like, I have a nice car. I have a nice house. I'm, I'm satisfied. You know, so I, I'd be the perfect guy to have that kind of windfall because <laughs> I, I think I could do a lot of good with it and, and, and wouldn't really, uh, you know, because I wouldn't spend any of it on myself, but I, I definitely would, you know, figure out ways to be effective and use it. Uh, a friend of mine created this charitable trust, and uh, he, what, you know, what he did is he, he had this um, stock that had appreciated so much that if he sold it, he'd have to pay a lot of tax yes. on it. But instead, he transferred it to the trust. And then he was able to use the full value of it so that he could, you know, use that benefit and leverage it. So I would try and use my entrepreneurial acumen to kind of leverage that money and make it as effective, efficient, and uh, have the biggest ROI possible. Mm. This third question is a bit ironic as we've discussed uh, some of the story that you've been telling the world about. So here, here it comes anyway. If your house caught fire... And all living things and all living people are already out, but you have an opportunity, Matt, to run in and grab a single item. What would you run in and grab? I guess uh, hmm, my family photos and videos of family, things that are you know, certainly priceless. You know, to me, that everything else can be replaced. So that would be, you know, the memories that, that you know, because – you don't want to forget some of the great experiences you have and having those photos allow you to, you know, harken back and remember those things. To me, that would be the most important thing to grab. That's not a person. Mm-hmm. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to have that long, wonderful visit with? Elon Musk. <laughs> This guy is a rock star. He's going to space. He's building <laughs> hyperloops and and revolutionizing the car world industry. I mean, just the guy is just phenomenal. And the risks that he's taken and the ups and downs, I would love to pick his brain. What's the best advice that you've ever received? It's about gratitude and being grateful. You know, uh, for me, you, 
you know, I, I, it always comes down to being grateful for what I have. And obviously I got to see you speak recently and, and uh, you talk about why me and not why me in a negative way, but why me in a positive way. And that shift of being grateful and, 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 and focusing on that is tremendous because you could have this amazing day, a great meal, uh, you know, have fun, but all you remember is that you called John O'Leary, Jack O'Leary by mistake, <laughs> right? And you keep beating yourself up, beating yourself up about that. Oh, why did I call John Jack? Why did I mm. do it? And you don't forget and you're not grateful for all the great things that happened that day. And probably, by the way, for John, he didn't even, right. didn't even bother him. He forgot about it. But you're beating yourself up. So being grateful for me is, is such a great thing for people to always remember. That's awesome. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? My 20-year-old self? Um, hmm. You know, live every day like it's your last. Just enjoy it and, 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 you know, be mindful. Take it all in. This is the final question, but I may sneak one more in today. But the final question is this. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Matt, Matt Weiss, how would you like your one sentence to read? He was a selfless, giving guy who, who really cared about others. And I, I mentioned this, and I've never done this before, but hey, why not today? If you were able to sum up Wells' life in one sentence after meeting his parents and his sister and his high school friends and the guy who stopped smoking because of him and the lives that he saved on 9-11, the kids being named after him, everything else. If, if you could sum up this kid's life in one sentence, do so. It's real easy. Wells always thought of others first. He thought of their emotions, their feelings, their safety, their health. He always looked at others first. And, and, and that was Wells. Well, Matt, because of you, we now know the story of Wells in a way that we never knew it before, in a way that his family never knew it before. And uh, I'm a better man because of it. So I, I want to thank you again on behalf of the audiences around the country and the world being motivated to risk themselves to become an even better version of, of themselves. Thank you. My pleasure to be here today. My friends, that was Matt Weiss. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. All right, my friends, grab your red bandanas after hearing that show because it's time for us to move toward the flames, toward the smoke, toward the fear, toward the anxiety, toward the whatever else might be going on while everybody else is running away from them. Wells' life is proof that not only can one life change another, but it can quite literally transform the world. Our, our life matters. That's true not only for Wells, it's true not only for my guest Matt Weiss today, but it's true for you, it's true for me, and it's true for all of our listeners and all the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls that we bump into in the community of life. If you want to learn more about Matt Weiss's work, if you want to learn more about Wells and the Red Bandana Foundation, go ahead and check out my website. It's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, it's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. You'll have show notes, other podcasts, links that you might find valuable. In other sections of the website, you'll see my speaking lineup. You'll see where we'll be next, what we talk about, the work that we do through On Fire and in our Live Inspire community. It's all awesome, including social media. 
social media is an area where we come into your life day after day after day, reminding you of stories like the one you just heard. And the truth that in spite of some negativity and anxiety, the best is yet to come. This is good news. So thank you for helping us share it. If you are on social media yourselves, go ahead and tell your friends right now about this podcast. Tell them about the Live Inspired Movement. Tell them about John O'Leary and the work we're trying to do. Thank you so much for listening to the Live Inspired Podcast with me. If you're, listen- if you're listening on Apple or podcast, do me a favor, leave a review, tell your friends. Let's continue to spread the word and grow this movement for this time. And until next time, my friends, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Grab that red bandana and live inspired.